Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner and today my guest is Dr. Jill Carnahan and we're going to be talking about unexpected miracles, how to optimize resilience in an uncertain world. Dr. Jill's new book, Unexpected, is a playbook for this philosophy and we really go into her story and this really beautiful conversation about how we can build compassion, love, and resilience for today's world. I hope you will find this conversation meaningful wherever you are on your journey to health. Have a beautiful day. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I'm so excited to have my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Jill Carnahan on the podcast today. And we're going to have a really fun conversation. Uh, Jill and I, you know, connect in so many different ways on the scientific piece about who we treat and the complexity of the chronic illness world. But we also connect in this really, I would say, optimistic way of looking at life and really cultivating this openness to miracles and the unexpected and resilience. And we're going to be talking about her new book and her new documentary and all the wonderful things she's up to. So welcome, Dr. Jill. It's really an honor to see you. Thank you. I love being here with you today. Thank you. You're prolific. I mean, I know you work really hard and, you know, in your clinic and then you're always teaching other doctors about this medicine, but you decided to write a book. It's called Unexpected, not The Unexpected, but we know it's this unknown space that, you know, we all as, you know, this human journey, we all experience, right? The unknown, the uncertainty in life, this idea that we really can't control the conditions that we find ourselves in, but where we align is we can really choose how to move through them. And so just tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write your new book. And yeah, really, we'll we'll start there. I love that framework because control is an illusion. And it's literally the thing that creates the most cortisol stress response in our life when we believe that we have control of our circumstances and then things don't go our way. That's where the unexpected comes in and why that's a part of the title. Because what I love to talk about is, first of all, I share my story here. And I was told by the publisher years ago when I started writing the book, you know, Jill, you can't write a memoir unless you're Renee Brown or Michelle Obama or someone very, very famous. But I knew at the core that story is where we connect as humans. And we all have stories. I am not unique. My story is not unique. And suffering is not unique. And But I, what I realized is... We can have all the factual information of the how-to guide in the world, but if we don't have that connected issue of story where we connect on an uh, emotional level, and my story is just a framework for the reader to see themselves in the journey and see parts of themselves and maybe explore parts of themselves that they you know, need to do for healing work. So I felt like that was really important. And again, what it is, is me being, we were talking about vulnerability before we started here, it's hard to really share all the vulnerable parts of ourselves. And I've been practicing every day. I continue to practice. But in doing that, I feel like it gives the reader permission to explore the vulnerable parts of themselves. And what happens is we all have these masks we wear, and they're from conditioned responses from our youth or from finding what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So we put on these masks and we go out in the world wearing these masks, and we're not really connecting with one another on that deep emotional, spiritual, physical, mental level when we have the mask on. So I'm practicing by taking off that mask, trying to share parts of myself that I learned and grew grew through so that the reader can feel that, you know, just understanding that we're all human, we're all in this journey together. And back to the control and that whole unexpected idea, we all have suffering. You're either having just gone through something really difficult or you're in the midst of it, or you're going to 
up the road, up the bend. And because of that, when we start actually addressing and talking about this human condition that we deal with, difficulty, suffering, unexpected events, and especially when it involves both you and I with healthcare, you know, we treat patients and we ourselves have gone through things. And I think some of the most difficult stuff, we can have all the money in the bank in the world, but our, our health isn't optimal, whether again, it's mind, body, physical, spiritual, none of that matters. None of those resources matter. And we do these things like buy insurance policies or put money in the bank because we believe that it creates a sense of like safety or control. But I kind of blow that apart by saying, you know what, that's all an illusion. So how do you deal with the uncertainty of life? How do you deal with illness? How do you deal with loss of loved ones or loss of job or all these things that are common to all of us? Because when we have a perspective that it is expecting the unexpected, but expecting that in those difficulties, in the midst of the hardest times, there's still blessings, there's still meaning, there's still purpose. And there's still what my favorite thing is transformation on the physical, mental, mind, body level. So as we look at life with a different lens, we actually come to expect the unexpected. And we expect, we talk about miracles and whether you have faith or not, it doesn't matter. Miracles are just ways of dealing with the unexpected events and framing them to be a blessing instead of a shortcoming. Mm, so beautiful. And I, you know, I've had my own personal experiences in the last three years that really solidified my faith in exactly what you're in my experience of what you're saying. And, you know, we have those patients that we witness and, you know, they're on this journey and it's hard and it's, you know, arduous and you can see the difference in mentality when someone, you know, what we're going to break down and talk about has this viewpoint that you're talking about versus, you know, the perpetual looking at the last half, you know, how that kind of journey unfolds for that person. So we have this really interesting perspective, both of us from not only going through what we have gone individually, but we observe so many people, right? So we can really speak from this experience. So I, I just wanted to say that because it's like, you know, these can be really nice ideas, but you don't really trust them until you really have a, an amazing experience that builds your trust and faith in these principles that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. And the word I use is finding resilience. Resilience is really just how do we build up a confidence level in ourselves that we are capable of facing whatever comes our way, no matter how difficult. And that only comes from experience because you can, I mean, until you go through enough things in your life to really build that reserve of confidence. Some of my biggest heroes are Victor Frankl and Edith Eager and these people who've gone through the Holocaust. And again, my suffering pales in comparison to any of these people that have been through events like that. But I'm always, I have such an admiration and like a wow factor of reading and hearing about them talk because they come from such a beautiful, positive perspective in the midst of the most difficulties, partially because they've experienced the worst of the worst and they've come out the other side. And partially because they've seen one of the things that was profound for me was when I learned the quality that most embodied those who survived best in those awful, awful circumstances was compassion. And Christine, I know you'll get why, but when I first heard that, I thought, really? You would think it'd be like the tough, like, you know, go at it and like maybe actually less compassionate, kind of hard going, driven person that survives in that. But it was actually the most compassionate because what happens is when we share on this intimate level, whether it's doctor, patient, like we connect as humans, we're taught in medical school to be objective, to wear the mask, to never break down in front of patients. And again, I know you and I don't practice that way, but as we become human and share in the suffering, share in the stories of our patient, that's where the true magic and healing happens. And I can see why they shared that quality of compassion, because what happened in the worst of the worst of the worst, where they had a small piece of bread left, 
that compassion allowed it to share that last bit of food with their fellow human person there and share in that suffering and build these deep bonds. And some of those spiritual metaphorical levels of sharing and loving unconditionally were the things that actually transformed their lives and allowed them to survive in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. It's such an important part. You know, it's so important to revisit all this because the last three years have, have not been the Holocaust, but they've been very stress and uh, suffering producing, right? And you can see society has broken down on so many levels. You know, we've come out of this experience. I would say there's more people suffering from anxiety, depression, even, you know, chronic illness. And, you know, not a lot of people have the tools and are fully equipped to, you know, think through their life this way. So I'm I'm so glad we're having this conversation and it's so needed for this time, I feel, because we see also the polarization. People in their fear, some people can choose to become more angry, more hateful, more polarized, more scared. And we see kind of what's happened in society when that's happened. And then you see the people who turn to their neighbor who has, you know, completely different views and, you know, is there for them. You know, it's it's a whole different experience. And yeah, and I, I know we both connect like this idea of compassion and we can kind of weave in if, if you want, like the whole like heart space, right? You know, and this is an area that fascinates me just like how we're like truly wired, like physiologically and also spiritually to move from that space, right? Like when we're in these states of what we call compassion, gratitude, you know, appreciation, we are in a different rhythm. We're in a coherent field. Our body lines up. We are healthier. We're, you know, we're well, we experience well-being and connection. So it's interesting, like our creator actually, we're wired to be that way. We feel better. We, you know, we work better. We're connected more. And so we also experience the opposite of that too, right? You know, so, but do you have any, you know, I know you've studied this tremendously as well, but it, it always just, I always just take a moment to, you know, be fascinated by like, wow, we're like wired to be in these states. And, yes. you know, I mean, we, I mean, you and I love the new, the homeopathics, nutrition, supplements, diet, lifestyle. These are amazing, IV nutrient, whatever. There's so many amazing things out there that we can do to improve our health. But at the core, what I've learned in my own journey and kind of what I share in my book is overcoming cancer and then Crohn's disease and then mold-related illness. But the last several chapters are about love and compassion. And this and starts with, we can't truly extend that to other people until we really love and accept ourselves and all the parts that we've relegated to the, the you know, most of us are like, oh yeah, I like myself or I think I'm okay or I'm enough or whatever. But often there's a piece or a part that we've relegated to, oh, well, that part, I don't like the shadow side. And as we integrate all those parts. And even I teach patients, you know, trust in yourself, like your intuition. When your doctor says, oh, you just need an antidepressant, it's all in your head. And the patient's like, gosh, I don't think so, but maybe they know better than me. And so we relegate that authority to outside ourselves because we don't trust ourselves to really know what's best for our bodies. And I love to empower patients because I was that person who thought someone else knew better than me. And I couldn't really love my cells and my body and myself in a healthy way. I grew up in kind of a fundamental conservative uh, culture in the Midwest where it wasn't okay to love yourself. Like that was sacrilege. And I had to relearn like, no, no, no. The only way we can love other people is to start by loving ourselves. And the the epidemic of autoimmunity and chronic illness and immune system dysfunction comes on some level with us denying ourselves or putting ourselves aside or not truly loving and integrating ourselves. And like I said, the, the order has to be trust your intuition, trust yourself, trust that heart space first. And knowing what's best for you, the kind of relationships, the kind of health interventions, the kind of doctors, the kind of friends, and trust that. 
And then you, once you trust yourself and your intuition, you can actually love yourself fully. And we know like breast cancer is this disease of like nurturing organs that are getting cancer, right? So it's a disease metaphorically, Gabor Mate talks about this, of women who, men too, but much more common in women who tend to pour out the nurturing on everybody around them and they don't have any boundaries or self-love. And then autoimmune disease, same thing Gabor Mate talks about this, is really attack of ourselves and attack of our own self on some level. And it might be subconscious because you might be like, well, I have Hashimoto's, but I love myself. And that might be true. But there's probably some level subconsciously where you're not. And then the last thing is what you started out is as a healer, as a practitioner, our secret weapon, could we say, our secret healing power is when we are sitting in a room with nothing but unconditional love and acceptance for that person, that human, that beautiful human that's sitting in front of us and creating a space of transformation. I've heard from several people that a definition of love could actually be creating a space for someone for optimal performance and transformation. And when you and I as healers literally create that coherent space for the patient to show up, flaws and all, symptoms and all, where we just nothing but love and compassion and zero judgment, nothing but just listening and and creating safety. That's where the healing starts. And again, all of these other things are great, the nutrition, the supplements, but that coherent space for a patient practitioner, that's where the healing starts. And so we need to model that because once we model it, I mean, that's really how it transposes in the world is when we can start to have this unconditional love first for ourselves and our cells and our body. And just for an example, I used to be like, you know, fighting cancer, fighting Crohn's. And I remember the very beginning of cancer, I was so mad at my body for betraying me. I literally had this horrible anger at my body for like, how could you, my mind's strong. I want to do things in the world and my body is not keeping up. I had so much anger towards my body for betraying me. And I think at a subconscious level, a lot of people who have chronic illness have this self-hatred or self-anger for that betrayal. I had to work through that because I could not heal without dealing with that. Yeah. And, you know, and I I think our, you know, physical bodies are these beautiful instruments and barometers of this unconscious space, right? And, you know, I think a lot of life is to this journey of uncovering that and discovering that and returning to self and self-love and this connected self. And, you know, as you're talking, I, you know, I, I'm so curious as I go through life and treat patients and I, I'm really honored I get to be in this like really intimate, safe base with people. And, uh, you know, I have this one couple that I, I love, they're so dear. And, you know, one, you know, talk and they're, they're very different and they're in couple, their relationship, they're, you know, a little bit Older and I, I just asked once. I was like, "So, what's the difference here?" And because he's healthy and thriving, taking an amazing caregiver, she's like crippled with you know illness that she's getting better. But you know what I mean. Yeah. And it stemmed down to their primary relationship with their mother. And he was like, "My mother loved me like unconditionally. I, I know that I had so much love as a child, and then she's still working through even as a mother." herself working through the pain her mother caused her. And I'm not trying to blame mothers out here. I'm just saying, you know, that's just the mother, such a easy illustration of love, right? To a child, you know, and it's our first really experience of that. And you can see when that breaks down, how the stories develop, how the unconscious mind develops and how this pattern can develop. So I just thought it'd be interesting to insert that because it illustrates also like, how do we become that? You know, like here we are like these divine creatures coming into the planet to explore all this. And we, you know, we end up in these patterns where we, you know, don't even realize how our potential or power 
our connectedness to whatever you believe in. So yeah, I just, I'm sure you see that too, right? In practice. Oh yeah. And that's where, again, a beginning of functional medicine, I was all about the root cause and the gut issues and the inflammation and the cytokines. That's all real and very applicable. But what I'm getting at here is I think some of the biggest transformation in my own life and in the lives of our patient is when we recognize their suffering and there's unresolved. I always say when we're living unconsciously, because I'm still in the process, I don't have it all made, but I always say my awakening came after my divorce and it was nothing to do with my physical health, but it rocked my world and my identity so much that I had to do all this exploration on who am I? Do I love myself? Am I showing up in the world? And in that exploration, the awakening, all the work that I did and continue to do had a much larger impact on my health. It was really shocking because I knew this to be true in some level, right? But then when I experienced the transforming power, like my immune system transformed when I started accepting all parts of myself and knowing that I was worthy of love and then being able to extend that love to the world. And you said something earlier. I love this really practical tip for listeners. We always think like love and hate are opposites, but it's actually love and fear. So the resonance of our heart when we live in a place of unconditional love for ourselves and for those around us is so coherent and healing. And the opposite is fear. So one way you can check in with yourself is if you're feeling fear coming up about the future, about your illness, about something you're dealing with. Again, it's not always easy to just transform it. But when you can replace that with love and acceptance, that resonance is literally healing. And you can kind of check in to say, is this situation, is this person, is this illness, is this treatment making me feel fear? or making me feel love and acceptance. And you can also think of it as, does it expand me? And we can physically kind of just close our eyes and feel what feels expansive. Oh, my running with my puppy or being with my children or my parents, or like there's things that you can just automatically go to think about your loved ones, your pets, um, maybe your beautiful vacation you had the last memory. And just as we even close our eyes and put our hand in our heart right now, they, they feel this expansiveness, like my heart feels full. And then I might think of something that's a, a scary or suffering or difficult when you feel that contraction. So even if you don't know for sure, you can literally check in with your heart and your body. And you can do this with maybe like, should I go with this doctor or not? Or should I go with this even relationships, right? Should I stay in this relationship or not? And it could be friends or family or significant other. It doesn't have to be a romantic partner, but even those relationships have an effect on our physical health. So checking in and making sure you're in alignment and either transforming that from love to fear or trusting your heart. If it's contracting that situation, that job, that relationship may not be the best thing for you and your health. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe it's like how a lot of Americans, I mean, everybody, you know, might be in a different place than America who's listening to this, but in American culture, you know, we were you know, started amongst puritanical, you know, cultures. So there's like this kind of lineage, kind of ancestral kind of way, ethos of way, you know, like going through life of, you know, you got to work hard or play hard. You got to suffer to like succeed. You know, like we have all these like, you know, stories in our head. And I think it's a big transformative thought, like, wow, life is supposed to be like celebrated and enjoyed. And, you know, our creator wants us to be in this expansive state. And, you know, when you have a lot that you've gone through, you can get really used to like chaos and, you know, the unexpected bad things happening. And then you can kind of just, I mean, again, there's a lot out of our control and we have to face that, but I'm just saying there is kind of this unconscious just expectation that, you know, we're here to struggle and suffer, you know, I think in a lot of us. And, you know, I think what we're both talking to, uh, talking about is that no matter what happens in the outer world, our inner world is not 
about struggle and suffering and, you know, feeling like we have to suffer to deserve love or deserve, you know, celebrate success or, you know, all of that. I mean, I'm sure you unpack those thoughts in your own life, you know, as I've gone through this journey. Yeah. One in particular, it's funny because I talk about this in my book, there's a specific chapter, Will Work for Love, is it a subtitle? And what I realized is I went to this mastermind, it's amazing health entrepreneurs were there. And the man who was teaching started talking about addictions and he was starting with drugs and alcohol. And I kind of tuned out because I have other issues, but I've never been a drug addict or an alcoholic. And I, those weren't my things. So I kind of just was like, silly me. I was thinking, oh, this is not about me, right? Well, then he turned and he said, he looked at us, he pointed to us and he said, all of you in this room are addicts. And you know what your addiction is? It's work. It's the success, this achievement, this productivity, and you are trying to earn that love. And all addiction is based on trauma. It's how do we deal with the pain? And he was showing this compassion for any type of addiction. And I love this mentality because it, the truth is any sort of addiction is just a way to deal with the pain. And we're kind of masking that. And it's a way until we become more awakened that is sometimes like work isn't a bad thing you can achieve. And especially when you're in this realm of work as achievement, as an addiction, it's socially rewarding. So versus like the alcohol or the drug addict in our society, sadly, that workaholism is actually praised. So it becomes a perpetual cycle. But I recognize on that moment, oh my goodness, I am an addict. I have to deal with this piece of myself. And what am I covering up with being so busy, so addicted to production and success that I'm, what am I not dealing with? And what I realized, Christine, is as I started to slow down and become more aware, when you create that space, like for me to just sit in a chair, I never sat, right? I was going, 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 always doing something. And even the doing can be an addiction instead of just the being. But as I sat, what would happen is the sadness, the grief that I'd pushed aside would bubble up. And sometimes as that would bubble up, I would literally like be so feeling like it was going to overwhelm me like a tsunami. And as I got used to that, the first time was overwhelming. Second time was a little less overwhelming. And now I can sit with those emotions and let them come and know they're going to be a wave and they're hard sometimes and they're not fun. And I'd rather get up and go be busy and ignore them. But I'm practicing and I'm in the process, just like all of us, of being more slow, being more still. And my body is thanking me because part of my illness, I believe, was me dissociating from pain, from the feelings that weren't acknowledged for women in the culture I grew up in, which was anger and sadness. It was supposed to be optimistic and happy and cheerful. So I had to re-engage with those emotions that I had neglected for 40 years of my life. And I'll tell you what, it was hard. It was not fun. And the first time those sadness and stuff kind of came up, I literally thought I was going to drown in the tsunami and never come out. I'm like, oh, this must be like what it's like to be depressed. But what happens is as we engage, re-engage in life and let all the emotions come and accept all of them as they are, it becomes easier. And just like we talked about taking off the mask, if we're living in some way dissociated from certain emotions or certain part of ourselves, we can never show up fully to life. And our body, especially for highly sensitive people, will manifest with illness to get our attention. And that's what happened for me. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, obviously we're talking about like self-love and these positive, you know, quote, emotions, which are really important to engage. But we have to look at all those parts of ourselves. And I hear you, you know, I um, I myself, I, I started doing EMDR a few months ago and I hadn't done that. I've recommended it over the years and I'm like, oh, I'm good. I've, I've done a lot of work. I've got this, you know, I'm over this. And it's amazing, like how we're still like working on, my parents were divorced at age seven and you know, like age seven is like always coming up my whole uh -huh. life. 
know, so, but it's still there, you know, and it was, you know, part of the EMDR process of depending on who you work with is, you know, creating that space to feel and allow, as you said, emotions are these waves. I mean, they really are waveforms that the more you allow and ride up, allow them to come up and ride, ride those waves and come out. There's like this whole liberation of energy within the body, but it's, you know, again, some people can do it on your own. Some people, you know, you need a container with a professional to give you space to manage them, especially if you've gone through a lot of trauma. But I, I think that's, you know, one of the best things you can do for your health is <laughs> what um, Dr. Jill and I are, are speaking about here. And what was your process? You just kind of, you were able to sit with yourself um, and allow these emotions come up? Or did you have any other practices that really helped you to kind of excavate that emotional kind of baggage that we all carry in our lives? I'm so glad you asked because I have done a lot of different types of things and I can share kind of what we're... When I first started, it was a neuro-linguistic programming uh, kind of somatic therapist. And what's interesting, she used art. So I literally in the very beginning would draw, like I would bring up an emotion and then just let my body kind of draw. And I didn't even know what I was going to be drawing. It was colored pencils and pens, but usually some image, some color, some art, maybe even a, you know, it might've been a doll, you know, some sort of thing. And then I would sit with that. And usually it was such a neat way of like, touching base to my subconscious and what it wanted to bring up. Cause I didn't even know. And I didn't even know as I'm drawing. And then as I look at the photo, the picture that I drew, I'd be like, Oh, maybe it's about this. And then I had a therapist that was there to kind of talk through that. And we started with NLP, but in the process of the last five, seven years, I've done um, brain spotting. I've done um, EMDR. I've done a lot of uh, emotional freedom technique. I've done a lot of neuro-linguistic programming and kind of everything in between. And now I'm at the point where I can definitely, I have an, an, reading books, Gabor Mate, Peter Levine, Richard Schwartz with internal family systems. So as I got more and more aware of this, I feel like now I can actually sit with myself, especially I feel like something's bothering me. I'm not sure what it is. What I'll do is I'll just go to my meditation chair and prayer, you know, prayer meditation place. And I will put my hand on my heart, my hand on my belly, close my eyes. And I can, it's funny because I've always had trouble with meditation in the classical sense, but for me, it's more of an alpha wave lucid dreaming where I can go to that space and I get images and ideas and colors and stuff. And it's all the subconscious because there's no word. It's not like there's a narrative of what's happening, but when I have these emotions, what I can do is touch base in that kind of lucid dreaming alpha state of what is coming up, what might be here. And sometimes I don't really know until a couple of times in, but often I'll be able to sit with that and have an image, a thought, a memory kind of come to the surface. And again, I wouldn't necessarily recommend to the listeners, if you're starting, maybe don't start there because it can be so big and so hard. You have to titrate it because some of these traumas are so painful that if you allow it to come up, like you feel like you're going to die and it's very real. Your body at one time felt threatened. So that can come up to where you're literally afraid. But when you get to a point where I've done all this stuff, I can do this myself and that work in that time. And often I also find at night. So night is the time where we're right between the interface of dream state and wake. And at night, that dream state is really a way to touch base with our subconscious. And so what I find is if I have a problem or a dish, a situation in life where it's very confusing, I'm not sure what the right way to go is, I will pray and meditate right before bed on that. And I'll and really ask my subconscious and ask, I have a, I believe in a higher power, ask that higher power to help me, guide me. And overnight, I'll chew on it through my dreams. And I usually wake up, sometimes I'll wake up at 2am, most of the time I wake up in the morning, and I know. I just know, I know exactly what direction to go and what to do, but that's taken years and years of kind of practicing 
because really our subconscious has all the answers <laughs> and our subconscious, if we can get down there and actually reprogram it, it will manifest whatever it's told. It has no like left, it has no frontal cortex to judge. So if we can get past that with repetition or with some sort of a programming, we can actually achieve amazing things with our health, with our life, with other ways, because our subconscious just does what it's told. It's kind of amazing that way. <laughs> yeah, I know that's beautiful. And I'm so happy to hear you have that connection and that practice. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, a big part of what I'm trying to educate my patients now. I mean, I've had to, you know, really explore that in my inner world a lot, especially over the last three to five years. And I too have like a meditation practice and I start my day with it. And, you know, I, I really encourage my patients and they, and you know, we have different different experiences in the office to kind of get them started if they're, you know, new to it. But yeah, it's this kind of combination of working with a provider who can really help you go to those deep-rooted traumas that are in the unconscious. And then when kind of you've liberated those, really having a practice to tend to it and stay connected to your unconscious mind. And, you know, like there's this hygiene of our unconscious, you know, our our mind and our spirit that I think gets overlooked if you're just in the busyness of, of life. And that's really the internal navigation system. If you're, no matter if you're listening to it or not, you know, or trying to tend to it or not, it's going to be directing your life. You know, you can either be awake to it or not, right? So exactly. it's better to have a practice and a conversation with it on a regular basis, right? Yeah, absolutely. That we're aware. And it can take, again, all those people who've done some, I think somatic trauma therapy is kind of that like blanket and that's become real popular now. It hasn't always been that way, but if someone's looking for like what to do and there's, 101 different ways to do those types of practices. Like you said, EMDR, spot, uh, brain spotting or thought filter, all these kinds of things. And you just want to find if you're out there trying to figure out what to do, maybe read a few of the great authors, Gabor Mate, Peter Levine, Schwartz, there might be some that you like, meditation practice, and then find what resonates with you because everything, everybody's different. Yeah, there's many, many roads, you know, many paths. Yes. Yeah. Road for sure. How does this change your patient care? Like how are, you know, treating patients with this kind of awakening and really coming out of the closet with these books and right, this information? Right. You know, like how, because, you know, we we both treat really complex chronic illness and you've specialized in them and a, a lot and helped a lot of us form kind of models, especially let's say like mass cell activation, right? So that's like a very sensitive patient population. You talk a little bit about, about this and your book about a story of a child who was struggling with it. So it's like these people are living in very rigid, very fearful places because their body it won't allow them to experience anything else at that moment. So I'm super curious, like how this is integrated into your kind of, especially the mast cell world. Cause I think it's such a, it's such an illustration of when the body really kind of gets it attacks itself. Right. <laughs> yeah. So but yeah. How has this changed your practice? Like this way. <laughs> Great questions. Just love talking to you, Christine. So I'm a bioengineering background, very analytical, grew up in like a German Swiss, very like, you know, analytical, Political and kind of rigid and all that. She's very smart. She's like, she speaks all over the country and informs everybody and really part of the functional medicine wave. I mean, she's very, she's a research, you know, like very scientific mind. I can attest to that. I'm just letting the audience know. Well, <laughs> what happened is, I mean, there, that only goes so far. I now kind of think about like the left brain analytical part is almost like an old 
you know, analog computer where there's a certain amount, maybe thousands of pieces of data that can get assessed at a certain time. And it's great. It works. And we kind of need both. But as I've really understood this level, what I realize is the heart space, the right brain, the intuitive sense as a healer is just as powerful. We were told in medical school, you know, never trust your intuition, you know, God forbid, use only science. But the truth is when we meld those, all of a sudden, like we talk about the subconscious, this right brain, this intuition, that is built over time with experience. So it's not like when we first come out of medical school, we may not have enough experience to really trust that intuition because we need to populate that intuitive subconscious self with cases and experiences and pattern recognition. But we can't really have that pattern recognition at 12 years old or at 16 years old or at 32 even. Over a lifetime, as we have you know experience in medicine and see cases, we start to populate those patterns. And then what the right brain, the pattern recognition, the intuitive self starts to do is within fractions of a second, you put together things that you could never put together with the analytical slower mind. It's like, there's another book out there, Fast and Slow Thinking. I can't remember the author. I quoted him in the book, but it's all about, we need both, but the best healers take both pieces and integrate them. So now when I'm sitting with a patient, I'm gathering all the data, I'm doing all the left brain stuff. I'm looking at lab data and asking them questions about symptoms and taking histories. But what I also do is just be present, like really, truly present in that heart space and try my very best to put myself aside and create a completely unconditional, loving and hopeful and uh, spot for them to show up with their full selves. So number one, I create a space where they might tell me things that they've never told anyone because they know that there's safety and there's love and there's no judgment. And when those things start to come out, I start to literally listen with the heart space and often I'm asking questions. I don't even know where they came from, but like, oh, tell me more about that. Oh, what about your, and like you said, parents and grandparents and ancestral relationships and epigenetics absolutely play in. So I think this starts with a history and really being present and in tune to where that's going to go and being open to the questions that come that may not be a classical, when was your last surgery? You know, or what happened with this? And, and when those things come out, being aware and understanding that maybe there's something there that needs healing. And I don't, claim to be the expert on somatic therapy, but I know enough just to recognize now when there's trauma patterns that are contributing to illness. And again, I will give them the resources of the people, the professionals that have helped me, their books or professionals or referrals. Because again, I'm not that person, but at least now what I can do is recognize when the trauma patterns or the childhood patterns or the conditioning are a huge part of the illness. And maybe no one's ever recognized that. And what I find is half of the healing comes from number one, being heard. Number two, having a safe space to disclose information that's very precious and personal. And number three, being acknowledged because so often there's literally medical gaslighting where a doctor's been like, that's ridiculous. That can't be true. Your labs look great. It's all in your head. Maybe you need an antidepressant. And what it does is, again, we start to like swirl around and be like, well, maybe maybe I can't trust my reality. Maybe my symptoms aren't real. Maybe it is all in my head and maybe I need just an antidepressant. Now, there's nothing wrong with antidepressants in the right time and place. I prescribe them. But if we're using them to cover up a real thing that's coming up that needs dealing with, or we're saying it is all in your head, there's nothing real here, that patient gets continually this sense of like they cannot trust themselves. So part of this healing is acknowledging, listening, anything they say is valid. It may may or may not be, you know, on a lab value, but if they believe that to be true, then we need to address it. And creating that space is really where it happens. So I absolutely now see deeper trauma patterns and then can direct someone to the kind of resources they might need to heal on that level. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I love everything you shared. And there is this, you know, thing that happens, right, when you're with a patient and you ascribe to this kind of philosophy that, you know, you think you might be going in what, like your mental mind thinks you're in one direction, and all of a sudden, something's coming out of your you know, mouth. And there's this whole other, you know, journey and connection and where the gold is, you know, for the visit. And I've, I've learned to trust that over the years. And, you know, when you create that safe container, you can you can share personal information in the level and, you know, ask those deep, most kind of thoughts like, are you happy? Do you want a child? Like, what are you struggling with? You know, like things that you just, you know, might feel like, you know, like the, they just come out so naturally and then they kind of unfold the patient's next step in a beautiful way. So I, and I don't know if you've ever had this, but I literally, I mean, just this last week, I'm doing the medical history. We're talking about this. And then all of a sudden there's some, this little doorway where I see either a tear comes or they're talking about this relationship that they're struggling. And it literally is almost like my, I'll feel a skip beat of my, like physically a sensation. I'm like, Oh wait, this is what's so like, this is what's precious and important. And for me, I almost get teary eyed right now saying it because I'm almost like, all of a sudden you get this portal into some very, very precious, tender part of this person's life that again, they maybe shared, maybe never shared. And they're starting to open that door and, and almost like, can I trust you with this precious piece? And all of a sudden I'll literally realize, and this is kind of a heart feeling, oh wait, this is what it's about. This is where, like, this is what's really important. This, like, broken marriage or this trauma when she he or she reveals what happened with their father when they were eight, or you know, and all of a sudden you'd be like, oh wait, this is where we're going. (laughs) And I am always like, again, I almost feel my heart skip a beat because I'm realizing, oh my goodness, almost like thank you for this opportunity to be in this precious sacred space with this patient. And I literally almost like ask the higher power, you know please help me be so present and so loving to help them just, and to not bring in any of my own stuff, right. To like, just hold this space for them. But when that happens to me, I mean, that's what like brings me the the sacred joy of what I do, because it is so precious to be in that space with someone. I can totally relate. And I can find myself like tear up often. Yeah, me too. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's like, it's just so tender and so yeah. powerful that you can just feel that. Right. That's- barometer when there's like real powerful truth happening my eyes water you know yeah, it's, I know it's, <laughs> it's, yeah so my patients just you know have learned to understand that and you know and, and I, I share with my team like a lot it's like you know no matter what people are going through it's like our job is like like create a container of love for our patients I mean that's really what we're doing at the end of the day and the more that you realize that you know people really transform I'm sometimes amazed like I see people get better I'm like what do we do again like what what do we how did this happen like what do we do you know but I think it's all of the things we know scientifically and this marriage of holding space for the unlimited the unexpected the miracles in life the resilience and humanity and holding space that you know we see their higher selves healing no matter what their diagnosis and I've been really on this curiosity of seeing some really cool things lately and I just I want them to be more commonplace than the rare, like miracle implies, right? Yes. Right, right. But like we can see them every day if we're in that heart space, right? Like let's, that should be the norm, not the, not the, it's funny because the original title of my book was Unexpected Miracles. Like there was a whole story um, about that. And, but then with the publisher, like people get like religious connotations with that. And I wanted to be this very open because it's not really about any certain religious practice, but miracle can be very secular in the sense of something unexplained, unexpected. Either way, I didn't use that in the title, but it's so relevant to what we're talking about. 
Totally. Well, it's so, I mean, I'm so happy for you that you're at this place in your life after, I mean, like what you've been through, Jill, like, like, check it out, like, okay, cancer, Crohn's, like, mold illness, divorce. I mean, like, you have a big checklist and look at you, you're vibrant, you're glowing, you're in your passion, you're in your vocation. I mean, so... You know, I, I really I agree when people see like that story, like, okay, someone else got through this, like, I can do this, you know, like, why am I any different from Jill, right? You know, if, you, if Jill can do it, you guys can do it, right? You know, so everything you've been through. So, well, before we wrap up, I just want to quickly just mention you have a, a documentary coming out too, right? So, I mean, you've been very prolific. So just a little bit about your documentary and anything you want to share just so that can be on people's radars. Sure. Thank you. So the book was coming out. I was working on that. And all of a sudden, 2021, I'm sitting in my meditation chair, literally January 1st. I'm like, oh, people are moving towards screens because it was the mid of pandemic. People were watching Netflix and that. If I really want to inspire and impact, I need to be on screens. Talk about unexpected miracles. I have no history of knowing how to produce or do any documentary, but I thought we need to do a documentary. So it's yeah. just an idea. But within a week, I had a producer, a director, a team that was ready. And then within three months, we had an investor who's like, we love this project. We want to help you. And so that was 20. And then over 18 months, we filmed and produced a documentary and it is fully done. It's in film festival right now. It's called Dr. Patient. If you want to see the trailer, go to drpatientmovie.com. So drpatientmovie.com, you can see the trailer. It's pretty much a miracle, but it, it kind of follows my journey and the journey of several patients in the same realm. It kind of goes the next level. And the message there is really believe yourself, trust yourself, find this new way of healing and healing is possible. And the bottom line is, if you want to stay tuned to where it's going to be screening, we're in the midst of film festivals first, and then it'll be probably in theaters or direct online, but that we don't know yet. So you can just sign up there to find out when it'll be playing in your area. Awesome. Like amazing, right? Amazing. Just a testament to the creation of that. And, you know, I, I think people who are especially in our field that are getting this message, right? It's time for this new awakened medicine to really share, you know, this unlimited potential that we all have and this beautiful kind of weaving of these principles. And I'm, I'm really excited. I feel like in our professional career, we're really going to see not only like a paradigm shift from like the root cause and functional medicine world, but a paradigm shift in really creating this new field of medicine that really sets out with these, you know, principles and how we treat people and how we give them this, you know, almost playbook of how we're wired to heal and experience life. And I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. Well, Dr. Jill, anything else you want to share? Anything else in your heart before we wrap up? No, but I would love to offer your listeners. If you go to readunexpected.com slash free chapter, you guys get an exclusive. All you have to do is just put your email in. It'll directly take you to the free chapter one of my book. And so I want to make sure that your listeners have that option. It's all free. It's Even if you don't want to buy the book, you can get the first chapter, which is all about climbing mountains and how that's a metaphor for life. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you. We'll have that in the show notes. And thank you so much for your precious time and being here on the podcast. I know that you impacted a lot of hearts and minds that are listening and tuning in. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for all the beautiful work that you do in the world as well. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Jill Carnahan. Please check out the link in the show notes and you can get that free chapter. And just what an incredible story. That was really was such a fun conversation and I hope you enjoyed it as well. 
If you are looking to become a new patient, we're accepting new patients at Eminence Health. Eminence actually means the divine within. So it's very aligned with this conversation that Dr. Jill and I had. We have not only myself, but a really lovely team between Dr. Amanda Williams and Dr. Sarah Bedford. And we have really innovative therapies and techniques and approach for you not only to get to the root cause of why you may be struggling with a chronic illness, but you're in a container of transformation and love as we've discussed today. So I hope you will find us and reach out if um, you resonate with this message. So please check out the information on eminencehealth.com. All right. Have a beautiful one. Bye.